Welcome to this late hour. A look at the world through the lens of scripture. I'm your host, Casey Knowlton. Hey everyone and welcome back to this late hour. So we're jumping right into season three. There's been no fanfare, no trailers. We're just going to shoot right into this season. Uh, there's a lot going on on this end. There's going to be some big changes and some big updates and announcements coming down the road. Uh, last season, I you know took some time to kind of lay out a format of what I'd hoped episode sort of arrangement would be. Uh, this season, I'm not going to make any promises on episode arrangement or frequency. Really, uh, the goal is just to keep getting content out. Sometimes it'll be... Uh, maybe every week, sometimes it'll be once a month, but it's going to keep coming. And part of the reason there's a slowdown and some uncertainty is because, like I said, there are some changes and some big developments coming. Uh, it's nothing I can really talk about at this time, but it, we're excited for it here uh, at the Knowlton household. And uh, I look forward to talking about it more in the future. But one of the things I wanted to do for this first episode was to jump in and interview uh, Timothy Mahoney. Now, if you recall, back in uh, previous seasons, I have brought up Tim Mahoney several times. He is the uh, director and producer of all the Patterns of Evidence films uh, from Thinking Man Films. And he's actually got a new film coming out tomorrow, uh, which is a Fathom event. It is The Journey to Mount Sinai Part 2. It's going to be in theaters tomorrow night and Wednesday night. That is uh, Monday, May 15th, and Wednesday, May 17th. So if you can, go to PatternsOfEvidence.com and find the link there to the Fathom event page and see if you can get a ticket to watch this in theaters. I highly recommend all of Tim's work. They're great films. They're great archaeological evidence and sort of breakdown of the Exodus events uh, with many different experts and biblical scholars and just really diving into the dirt to see what's there. Uh, understanding the issues of chronology and, and how that causes an issue with evidence for the Exodus. All of it's in his films. Uh, really good stuff. We're going to get into it today in the interview, and I'm really excited for you to hear uh, some of the things we have to talk about uh, today. With that being said, we're going to jump into this first episode of Season 3 with an interview with Timothy Mahoney of Thinking Man Films regarding Journey to Mount Sinai Part 2. Welcome everyone back to this late hour. Uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome Tim Mahoney of Thinking Man Films to the the podcast. Uh, Tim, how are you? I'm good, Casey. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, it's, it feels like it's kind of overdue. Um, I think I might have mentioned to you in one of the emails we exchanged that uh, I think you probably are one of the only people who's gotten at least three or four or five honorable mentions on the podcast. I'm constantly bringing up your films and the work you've done. So it really uh, is, you know, a great privilege to have you on. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad to be on, on your program. And um, 
Uh, just, I might ask you a question because I usually ask questions. Could could I start that? Oh, please. Well, tell me uh, what uh, uh, you've got uh, our present age in light of scripture. Yes, sir. Um, uh, what was the motivation for this podcast, and who am I talking to in this audience? Well, uh, you know, you're going to have a mix of uh, different denominations in, in the Christian faith, uh, and really, it's it's certainly. Um, a more heavy emphasis on eschatology uh, myself and those who listen being under a strong conviction that we are nearing the end of the age and the days that Jesus referenced in the Olivet discourse. And of course that's referenced throughout the new Testament and of course, revelation. And so really that's uh, kind of where I am coming into this and uh, you know, I'm no expert or anything like that. My um, similar to kind of what you do in these movies, I'm just making observations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I go back to uh, Matthew 25 and, and having your lamp lit with the virgins there waiting for the bridegroom and keeping my lamp lit, being observant and watching as, as Jesus commands and, and looking at the times and, and sort of trying to live in light of the very real possibility that we're nearing the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where where I'm coming from, and and um, you know I I think I can remember first watching your Exodus um, Patterns of Evidence Exodus film probably about five years ago. Now it's been ten years since that came out, hasn't it? Uh, 2015. So it's been uh, almost eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that had a big impact on me. I I just thought that was amazing, and just the amount of evidence that was laid out and the amount of work that went into that. And I really appreciate your approach of just sort of uh, letting the people speak for themselves and letting the audience draw their own conclusions based on the evidence that's presented. Um, Surprisingly, though, there are still many Christians who are unfamiliar with you and your work. So perhaps uh, you might, for those who still don't know in my audience, there may be a few, uh, to let them know who is Tim Mahoney and how did you end up making documentaries on the historical reliability of the Bible? Yeah, well, I am. Um, I grew up in a family of faith. My mother was a strong believer, uh, but I also grew up in a broken home. And I think when we've been looking back at, well, you know, why was this so important to me? Um, I don't. I didn't think at first. I never in my mind thought that I'd be making films about the historical credibility of the Bible. In other words, it wasn't like, oh, that's what I want to do in the future. But I think because of my mother's faith. And the fact that when my folks, you know, we made a movie called The Journey Home, by the way, and that's a testimonial film about how the Patterns of Evidence films got married, uh, got married, got made. (laughs) But my marriage is in that. Uh, And um, so The Journey Home was an investigation into which I hired another filmmaker, Rick Altizer, and he uh, is a great uh, filmmaker, makes documentaries, too. I said it's I said to him, hey, Rick, it's hard to give yourself a haircut. Uh, and so I asked him if he would uh, help me tell the story of how we got to where we are, uh, with these films, because there was a lot of testimonies and things that God was doing behind the scenes as we were making these films. And what surprised me was that Rick started asking the questions that similar to what you're asking, but he went back a little bit deeper to my own family and to my own, um, faith and why it was important to me that the, the, the Bible was true. And when I came to, as I've talked about this and thought about it, my mother at times would ask us, because my father was was not well, and he had a lot of uh, 
PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, I guess is what you call it now. We didn't know what it was. He was just very angry. At times he could explode. And when he exploded, it was dangerous. And he had started to threaten to kill our family and to kill my mother. Um, he was um, involved with the military uh, in Korean War. When he was younger, he had been abused. His mother died when he was a young boy. So he had a lot of stress and trauma. And that never uh, that, that was always underneath the surface of his life. So if something went sideways for him, he would explode. And um, and so I my mother would at times have us praying. And I saw why I saw the the, the rage that my dad had as he would sometimes explode, and I realized that life wasn't this cuddly, soft teddy bear, uh, you know, that a lot of people might think life was about when you're seven, eight, nine, ten years old, that there was something we had to be afraid of, and it was in my own home mm. with my dad. And so my mother would have us praying and calling out to God, and then she would read to us. We had a, a child, a children's Bible story book, and I think— at an early age, like around five years old, is when I accepted Christ into my heart, uh, and I really felt that I was different. I mean, I, I, it was it was a child faith, and and you're not going to believe this, but my dad was the one who actually led me to the Lord. And what I could see is that even though my father was he believed he was really in a struggle with his own life, uh, and and he would profess to be a Christian. Uh, but he, but he would be, but he had this violent, you know, problem. Uh, and eventually we had to escape, uh, without my dad knowing it. My mother packed us up, uh, one day with an uncle came by and we put suitcases in a car and, um, we, we were swept away in hiding. We literally went in hiding. Uh, and when my dad came home, it's in the, it's in the film. My dad was so angry. He took an ax and chopped the house entirely to pieces. So it was a very difficult time because uh, my family, as it was, was no longer a family. It was a single parent with four kids, and I was the oldest. So when it came to Rick asking me these questions, and actually when he did the interview and we started talking about it, I hadn't talked about this for a long time, Casey. I cried, and I cried Throughout the interview, it was really, is like, wow, I had no idea that that button, if it got pressed, how deep it was. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I started to understand too, that my mother's faith and my grandmother's faith was critical to my own faith. They were very um, influencing to me because they had such a faith that God of the Bible was, was a God who would provide, he would protect he would lead and he would direct, you know, and and so my faith as a young person was very very strong. I I went to church with my mom. I think the church was a, a refuge, for, you know, for us. And so I participated whenever the doors were open. I was there. And my mother also was a music teacher, and she became the pianist for the school. I mean, for the church. Uh, she was a pianist for the church. And so she played Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday nights. And then we had uh, Royal Rangers on, uh, uh, well, we had Royal Rangers, I think it was on Monday nights. Uh, so, and then we had, um, youth group on Friday nights. And so I, I was there quite Royal, a bit. Royal Rangers. Is that like the early version of Awana? Yes. I think it might've been. Yeah. I was a Royal Ranger. There you go. So kind of giving you, I don't know, that's kind of a long uh, story, but 
I never talked about that until this last year. And I think Rick Altizer was the one who helped me to basically explain why maybe I had the passion. Because when I came back from the first trip in Egypt, um, what happened was I in Egypt, if you saw the first film, I never I never made it as dramatic as it was, but I went to the very location where the Israelites were said to have been. Uh, and there's a Austrian Egyptologist, Manfred Bitek, and it was very, very difficult for me to get there. This was in 2002. And when I finally arrived at his dig site, he didn't know that I was coming, but I had been emailing him in Austria, but he was in Egypt. And back then, he didn't get the communication, so I surprised him. He was somewhat upset that I was there and told us to leave. And, and by the way, I said, listen, I said, guys, everyone leave, go away. And I just talked to him personally, and I just said, listen, I've come from the other side of the world to talk with you. Can I talk with you for like five minutes? And um, and he agreed. We I got the cameras back, and I said, so have you found evidence for the early Israelites? And he said, so far, not. And when he said, so far not, I'm like, well, listen, I know enough about Manfred Bitek that he is the guy who's digging in the very spot where the Israelites were supposed to be. And um, and I thought, wait a minute. And I was I, literally, Casey, it felt like I had been hit by a two by four in the back of my head. One time when I was a kid, I was chasing a ball, you know, in the outfield. And this is before I realized that you should look out for the fence that you're running into. <laughs> and I ran into that fence and knocked myself out. Well, I had almost a similar experience with that sound of ringing in my head because it was felt like I just emotionally and mentally got hit by a, a two by four when he said so far not because he was telling me that there was that he had not found any evidence for the biblical narrative. And I was like, what? Mm. And I continued the interview and then I continued for the next three weeks going around Egypt, filming different things. And when I came home, I, I started to have the beginnings of a crisis of faith. It's like, getting the flu virus and you just start realizing you're not feeling too well and you're starting to feel achy and my, and, and so I sat in an edit suite and I put that footage up and I looked at it and I watched it several times. And then I started to, to, to literally weep. And I said, God, you have to help me. Why doesn't he see any evidence? You know? And I had a spiritual encounter, but it was an evil spiritual encounter in the beginning. Up, the room almost got cold. And this thought came into my mind, everything that your family has believed about the Bible, that your mother believes in your grandmother, it's a lie. And this horrible sense of despair came over me, like I had just fallen into a chasm of darkness. The next thing that happened was I heard another thought in my head that said, stop editing, get up, go to your bookcase. So I got up, walked out of that edit suite, walked across this foyer area, walked into my office and said, you know, go to the bookcase. I got to the bookcase, it was like, read that book. I pulled out, it was that clear. Uh, and I pulled the book out and it's a book by David uh, Roll, who is an agnostic actually, it's an Egyptologist. He wrote a book called Pharaohs and Kings. He's in the film quite a bit, isn't he? He is, yeah. He became friends. Um, and I opened that book up, 
and I started looking through it. And all of a sudden, I see Manfred Bitek's dig site there. Except David Roll is telling us the other side of the story. And what he's saying is that Manfred Bitek is uncovering beneath the city of Ramesses, where, and your audience needs to know this, is that the Bible says that the Israelites, you know, dug at the, you know, uh, worked at the city of Ramesses and Petum. And that's the location. It's not the time period, I believe. And if you go beneath the city of Ramesses, there's a much older city. And Manfred Bitek was uncovering the older city. And that David Roll was pointing to said, hey, listen, I'm an agnostic, but this looks like this is the story of the Exodus down here, several hundred years, a different time period. And so that became, I said to myself, wow, this answer that I was praying for, I then decided to go to England and went and found David Roll and filmed him uh, in a, a very long interview. And that sort of began the process of me coming out of this crisis of faith and finding a pattern uh, for Joseph and his family's arrival in Egypt, for their multiplication, for the enslavement of these people. Uh, there are documents that match the plagues with the Ippor papyrus and uh, even a Egyptian uh, that called Manetho, who says God smote us. So David, a lot of people had done work, but David had done an awful lot of work. And I was able to use that as a basis. And uh, Casey, what ended up happening was in the very beginning, I made some films that no one ever saw. I mean, broadly, I showed them in theaters and that locally, but they were pieces of of future films. So I had a sense of there was a much larger narrative here. And uh, so that first film that I made that I was showing to people, only about three or four minutes was about Joseph and the early Israelites. And then we went on to something else. You know, we went on to the Exodus, where I am now. So that first three minutes eventually became uh, the first Patterns of Evidence film, which was a two-hour feature film. That's how much content there was for us to dive into and to show a pattern. Yeah, well, and all the, the patterns of evidence related to Joseph, I found that to be some of the most breathtaking stuff in that first film. Really yeah. incredible stuff. And I, uh, you know, obviously uh, urge the audience, if you have not watched any of Tim's films yet, to, to do that right away. Uh, because uh, just seeing the actual sites and the evidence is there's something about about that that just um, makes it come to life in a way that's different than just reading it alone. That's correct. And I think that for me uh, and for many others, um, when we looked at that pattern and you can see it, a pattern has to have a sequence too. And by the way, for the audience, a pattern is a scientific approach. So what has happened in what I've learned, and once again, I'm not an archaeologist or, or a scholar. I'm, I'm a filmmaker who's an investigative filmmaker. So, But in that process, you're trying to say, does it make sense? And uh, a scientific approach is, is that you have a hypothesis, and then you see if there's a, something that follows that hypothesis. And in our particular case, the hypothesis has been that the biblical text is recording a historical event of God acting in history. And then I would say, well, what can we find? What would you look for if you were looking for the God acting in history? Well, in the first films, we were looking for 
the arrival of the Israelites in a small group, you know, their multiplication, and then we would look for their enslavement. And and we found all that. That's uh, And when I say found it, I mean, through the research of other people, you could start to identify that. So that's how these films have been made. And now we've, we've, we've got uh, Journey to Mount Sinai Part 2, which is our technically our sixth archaeological patterns of evidence film. Uh, it's going to be in theaters May 15th and May 17th. It's a nationwide release. And you'd asked, you'd mentioned about people being able to know, well, how can I look, find more out about this? And we do have a website, patternsofevidence.com, of which you can see a trailer, uh, there's a lot on that website. You can see a trailer. You can actually hit it, buy tickets, and it'll take you to the Fathom Events website. And there you can, you'll can you see Patterns of Evidence, Journey to Mount Sinai 2, and you're going to be able to uh, put your zip code in, and that will tell you the theater that's close to you. Um, and for people that want to purchase, we've got a store there for the other films, and we've got a lot of other things happening now where we have thinker updates. Every week we send out... Uh, an email to hundreds of thousands of people on Bible archaeology. We've got podcasts. We've got a uh, YouTube ch uh, channel. So you can sign up for all that and, and keep up to date with it. Yeah, I really appreciate the thinker updates. I get those. Uh, in fact, I uh, recall, um, I don't know if it was uh, the thinker update or the podcast or both, because uh, you dipped into the podcasting world as well, which I plan on asking you about later. But um, the curse tablet that was found, I know you guys d dived into that quite a bit, and I thought that was really fascinating. It's it's amazing. It's like it's it's at the level of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, uh, as far as a big find. Yeah, it seems like there's lots of big finds that have been happening the last couple of decades. I just find that really interesting. Well, I'm assuming when you started all of this, you didn't have any idea that these that your you know quest for answers regarding uh, you know the biblical Exodus would lead to <laughs> what what's going to be six films soon? No, I I didn't at the time, um, and I think some people ask me, well, well, what who do you make these films for? And I think my simplest answer was myself, and that might sound like a funny answer, but as I thought about it, I had to solve the problem for myself. By the way, and so the films in some ways are personal uh, journeys, and I think that they worked out better to be that way. Because people don't want to be told what to think, but I can tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I know Thinking Man Films is a name of our our production company, and uh, and I said, well, I'm the Thinking Man. You know, I'm 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 wrestling through this, and we found out that that has been uh, a good approach. It's been a wise approach. You know, the more you you, you get involved with this, Casey, you realize how small and little we are. You know, just as a person. Uh, you know, we're here for a short period of time. That's why I think it's very, very important that we understand why we're here. Uh, if there's a God, did he send his son uh, to die for us? You know, understanding this bigger narrative. And if you look at time, like I said, if you look at that wall of time, I mean, we are just um, a short, we're here for such a short time. It seems like a long time. We can get focused on certain things, but uh, that are really not that important, but they seem important at the time because that's all we're focusing on. We have to figure out where our focus will become. So, I mean, for, for me, um, I've been very surprised. Uh, and then as I had prayed about it, 
I started to see that there's a much bigger opportunity to investigate the entire Bible. And so we actually outlined, we've outlined a lot of, of, of this detailed outlines where we could go. Uh, works, you know, we, we feel like we're, uh, and I say we, because I have, I have uh, Steve Law, who's my writing partner, and I've got uh, Chad Green, who's been editing the films, and we've got a team of other people that are part of the inner workings of how to make these movies. And um, it's a small team, but I think, you know, we're really like a small micro studio with the understanding that we are a studio. We are developing these films, we're making them, and then we're distributing them. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. And if I'm, let's see if I can remember correctly. So in this series now, we have in Patterns of Evidence, uh, evidence we have Exodus, uh, the Moses Controversy, uh, the Red Sea Miracle 1 and 2, and now uh, Journey to Mount Sinai 1 and 2. And then, of course, your seventh would be Journey Home. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we did help uh, to produce two films on, uh, on archaeology uh, with the uh, uh, Times of Fire and Times of Deception, The Seven Churches of Revelation. Uh, that's also a film that we, um, uh, two films that we've worked on uh, as executive producers and distributors. Yes, also two very good films, which I have watched several times. Well, uh, as you've been doing this work uh, and you've just you know laid out all these films uh, there, and so you've looked at lots of things in the last, um, how many years did we say it was? Eight, eight years, eight plus years. So uh, what has surprised you most about the evidence that has been discovered so far? That's a good question. I think that the evidence is, is, is helpful for a lot of people. Uh, but it, in many ways, I've been talking about this, it's really the act of the Holy Spirit that convicts somebody. Uh, because a lot of people can see evidence and they still don't, they don't like connect with it. Without God's Holy Spirit uh, convicting of, of something or moving upon a person, uh, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't work as much. So I've seen that the evidence has been, we've had some people, we had one person during COVID, for example, um, he, um, he was going to take his own life. And he decided that before he took his life, that he would watch a movie. So he went on Amazon and somehow, by God's grace, he saw the Moses controversy and he goes, what's that? And so he watched the Moses controversy and he goes, that was amazing. And then he found another Patterns of Evidence film, I think the Exodus, and watched that. And then he sent us an email that said, tell Tim Mahoney that he saved my life. He says, I, I lost my faith and I was going to take my own life. And I watch these films and I know that God is real and that uh, I'm not going to do this. You just don't know when you make these films, you know, and there's, we have, in fact, today I just got a, I just saw, I just read an email that said um, someone sent a donation in, but they sent it from prison. And the man said that he had, he was in prison for a life sentence and that this, these films have been a very meaningful and helping him in his faith and that he's using it to evangelize others in prison. Now, you, you wouldn't know that. And so I think when you talked about the evidence, uh, I think um, Jesus, when he was around uh, in healing people, there was lots of evidence that he 
that what he did. But some people saw it as a threat, and other people saw it as a miraculous, and and that he was the Son of God. So I think that's my my understanding is unless the Holy Spirit sort of reveals something in that evidence and is active, uh, for some people it's yeah that's just a coincidence, right? And for others, it changes their life. That's a really good observation, and how. Um, really it is the Holy Spirit doing a work on a person's heart and opening their eyes and their ears to the truth of uh, what God has declared in the scriptures and what truth, the, the truth of what is being found in the dirt. Uh, that really does come down to a uh, matter of the heart, just as Jesus um, was, he was confronting the Pharisees many times and, and in his teachings, we see uh, it's, it's always a matter of the heart. That's where, where it starts. And, uh, with the Holy Spirit uh, bringing that conviction. Uh, Casey, the other part to this is that what I also know, there's a friend of mine, Sean Nelson, who got his PhD on uh, apologetics, uh, and and he surveyed how people came to faith. And and he found out in this survey, and he's got, I think, several thousand um, surveys that have come in, is that it's that act of the Holy Spirit at a particular moment in someone's life that, that comes and encounters them, and they make a decision to turn their faith into accepting of Christ. And, and uh, or in some cases, they just, they just make that decision. Um, and later, all of the apologetic, let's say, evidence, what that does is, it, is that the different types of things that secure faith just make the person stronger and avoid... Um, uh, in other words, you need all the other things like these films because it builds upon that faith. Um, uh, and we do know, I do know by the fact that the scholars that I have been talking to have been telling, I'm talking about scholars who don't see any evidence for the Bible, have been telling their students there is no evidence for the Bible and there's really no reason to um, follow the Bible as a guide for life other than it's a, it's a good book. You know, but it doesn't mean that what it says is necessarily historically true, or is it um, mean that you need to follow it, its moral teachings? It's a decision that you can have to make, but there's no authority. In other words, the authority of the scripture isn't isn't based upon anything because they don't think it really happened. And so that's the reason why I think it's important to uh, wrestle with that question, because I also told some of these people, who grew up in Christian homes, uh, grew up, uh, and they turned away from faith. I said, well, I smiled and said, you know, the Bible says there's consequences if you don't believe. And they just, you know, like one man just smiled and said, yep, I I understand. So they're not really, they don't have the fear of God. Uh, they're, They're at this stage of their life. There's a book too, Casey, that I found called The Dying Testimonies of the Saved and the Lost. And I've wanted to make a film about this. This is from the 1800s of uh, testimonies of people uh, on their deathbed and how they reacted and what they saw. They were looking into another, it's like the veil of the of the physical world opened up and they saw into the spiritual world. And I'm telling you, um, the people who did not know Christ were screaming and uh, asking for help as they were dying because they were being pulled into the pit of hell. There are other ones that, that saw wonderful things, you know? So, I mean, 
I'm looking at it as an investigative filmmaker. Well, who wrote this book and are these testimonies, you know, real? Uh, but I found it pretty, pretty interesting and fascinating. Um, and there was just that new uh, film that came out. Um, I'm trying to think of Case for Christ. Who is that? Uh, he's a, he's a is that Lee? Was it Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lee Strobel uh, basically had made a film about between heaven and hell. And he has some powerful testimonies of what people experienced. Uh, real testimonies of people. And um, so I think that I've been more interested lately. I've been doing history and archaeology, but there's also this other thread. And when you weave a film together, there are threads that you have in them, uh, is the supernatural. And I, I, I believe as I move forward with the next films, I'm going to take that thread out of the uh, thread box and put a needle in it and start to put that into the tapestry of these films. Well, um, going into this whole, you kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, this controversy, uh, which honestly, I had no idea how much controversy there was concerning the biblical Exodus until I had watched uh, your first film. And uh, just the amount of um, disagreement there is that really this, and you know, you have that great image of the wall of time and it's shifting on the sands there. But I mean, really the primary linchpin in the whole controversy is a matter of interpretation of the timeline and when things occurred. Uh, and, you know, the conviction that Ramesses had to be the Pharaoh of the Exodus because he's mentioned there in the scriptures affects every other area of inquiry. I mean, everything you have done since uh, kind of uncovering all the evidence there with Joseph and uh, the Hebrews and uh, or the, the, the Israelites, um, it all it all stems from there. And so, if you have you know, as you discuss in the movie, if you have the wrong dates, it's going it's going to skew everything. Which is why so many scholars very confidently say, "Hey, there's no evidence of this" because they're looking. It reminds me of a of a line from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're looking for the Ark and uh, they have that medallion and uh, one of the characters says they're, they're, they're digging in the wrong place. You know, they're looking in the wrong place. It's really kind of the whole, the crux of the matter. And so you hit it, Casey. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the issue is wrong place, wrong time. Are, are you looking in the right place or are you looking in the wrong place? And are you looking in the right time? Because the layers of history uh, in archaeology. And if you get that uh, layering off or the, the gap between events are off, that's why it's a tricky thing to do. And, um, and remember, the early, the early archaeologists, the early Egyptologists, everything was, a lot was built upon what they started. And... Um, that's why I was fascinated by chronologic, the chronological, you know, revision suggestions that there are gaps in Egypt's history that they don't know about. And why are those gaps there? And then those gaps are reflected in other histories around the Mediterranean. So it's, it's pretty, um, it's, there's something more to discuss and to talk about. But what ends up happening is when people write books and say there's no evidence for the biblical uh, events that they can find, and that therefore we question whether that these things happen, they don't put into the book um, all the weaknesses to what they're suggesting. 
and all the questions that have been unanswered because that wouldn't make a very good book. But that's basically what I had to sort through as an investigative filmmaker, that there were gaps and there were questions in their thinking. Um, and so anyway. Yeah, this whole thing reminds me, you know, we're talking about geology. You know, I think of uh, uniformitarianism. I think that's how you say it. Basically, uh, you know, looking at the the geology and making uh, assumptions based on what you're looking at now, based, you know, going backwards, you know, anytime we're going backwards, it's tricky because it's messy and we weren't there. And so you know, that's one of the great things I love about that first film, uh, is that you're, you're looking at the messiness of it. Um, and now, but now that you've done this for, you know, almost 10 years, you have all these films and all this evidence for the Exodus taking place, um, in Egypt's Middle Kingdom, have you seen any of these expert scholars reconsidering any of their prior views? You know, uh, what I've noticed recently is that uh, some scholars, and this has not so much to do with chronology, because I haven't touched chronology for a while, and it's an awkward subject, you know, to get involved with chronology. Um, there are there is some information about chronology, and that means the changing for your audience. Chronology is how we date things, and but what the first film uncovers is that the biblical evidence is earlier in time. Uh, and so the question then is, all right, is this biblical evidence associated to the Bible, or is this just um, what what some people would say is this is where the legend of the Bible stories came from from these events earlier in time. Because what they've done is they've taken a stake and they've driven it down into the date of 1250 BC, the time of Ramesses. And as what we're seeing, though, is that in Genesis, the author, when he talks about Joseph going into Egypt, I think, and the sons of, I mean, when they talk about, you know, Jacob and all that, leaving where they were in the uh, uh, area of the Palestine area, or what you would call uh, where the promised land was would become, when they leave that area, um, they tell they say that they go to the land of Ramesses and settle there. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is that was hundreds of years before Ramesses ever existed. What the writer of the Torah was trying to do was he was trying to let you know where it was according to what it was called later. And but that name stuck with people, and they thought, well, then that's the time of Ramesses, not the area of Ramesses, and that's where we're getting into these big questions about: uh, Do we have the right place, and do we have the right time? And so, if time, and and that's then when people started shifting. The Bible says that the events of the Exodus happened uh, more around 1450 BC, but there's the there's a, another date. Uh, the early date of the Exodus, or the later date, I'm, I sometimes get confused, the one that's 1250 and one that's 1450. The biblical conservative view is 1450 date, and the more modern view is 1250 BC. So 1250 years before the time of Christ is when they're suggesting it. So anyway, what all that leads to is that the evidence that we're finding is even earlier than the 1450 date. And some people would say, well, what in the world is going on? And that's at the end of the film, uh, we look at at this uh, issue of, has the dating been uh, accurately uh, you know, attached to the right time periods? You know, that goes back to uh, uh, Shoshank and Shishak. And uh, uh, Shoshank was an Egyptian pharaoh, and Shishak 
also was one, and they're trying to figure out uh, are they the same, you know, uh, people, uh, and uh, do they can they can they or are they not? And uh, and that's uh, that's how. I'm sorry, audience, for getting complicated here. That's a different film, uh, but that's Egypt. The Bible, by the way, David Roll would say this. Early Egyptologists used the Bible to to find a date for Egyptian history. And so the question is, is did they find the right date? And what David Roll would say and others is, no, they miscalculated. And that's the reason why the evidence for the Bible and the archaeology is earlier than what you would expect. And that's what that first film uncovers. Yeah, really, it's um, assumptions that were made and maybe very well-educated assumptions uh, but basically that there's a sort of chronological orthodoxy that is formed and anything that goes outside those lines is immediately dismissed or sort of maligned. Um, and that's, I find it interesting that um, just the, the, the messiness of it and uh, the unwillingness to sort of even consider the possibility that, well, maybe it's not uh, what we had originally thought. But um, we had talked about, you, know, you mentioned the, the whole idea of uh, Joseph going into the city of Ramesses and, you know, the idea that the author of the Torah was uh, kind of making a reference to, so people who are reading it would know the locations. Uh, well, you explore that more in the Moses controversy, this whole idea of who wrote the Torah. And of course, that, that's another controversy, <laughs> which is a, a much, that was, that was one I was already familiar with. That's a pretty big one, um, you know, in the sort of theological circles. But uh, that film was quite important. And it just, you know, I mean, who wrote scripture and, and what that means? I think there's a, there's a lot of implications to that. So what would you say, you know, for the Christian, what are the implications for believing that Moses was or wasn't the author of the Torah? Um, I'm going to say it's the most important. I had no idea. I felt in my heart that we had to make that movie, and I wasn't sure exactly how to make it. But uh, once we came up with, we actually have an archaeological tool, which is these inscriptions, to show that these inscriptions showed up, by the way, at that same location. Um, uh, in, uh, Donald Redford is an Egyptologist out of, I believe it's Penn State, and he and I met, and he's felt that that early alphabet originated in Avaris, where the early Israelites, beneath the city of Ramesses. And what, what happened was, and if people don't know what happened, was that the controversy, we called it the Moses controversy, is because did Moses write the first books of the Bible or not? Well, uh, I don't know, 100 years ago or so, uh, Germans started being critical of Moses's writing because of the different types of, of um, words that were used. Uh, to describe uh, God. Uh, and there are other reasons, which I haven't studied myself yet, but I know enough to tell you that um, they started to criticize it and it was called higher criticism, I believe. And uh, and they were basically saying that uh, the other, they, they started to create a narrative that other people wrote it and that, and that this Bible was written a hundred, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of years later. And it was written with a, a political motive. And that motive was to just uh, get control over a people and tell them, this is, we want you to obey what we say because we represent God. 
That's kind of the theories that have come out there. Or did Moses uh, meet God at a at a mountain at a burning bush, and God chose chooses him to deliver the Israelites and bring them to Mount Sinai? And they and Moses writes these books during that time at the mountain and during the wandering. That's the biblical view. And what ends up happening here is that we had to figure out, well, did Moses write these books? So what's fascinating here is that not only uh, had we had we had to look for something like, well, what would Moses have used to write? And not and and he didn't just write with any old like hieroglyphics or something like that. What ends up happening is that there's this writing system that shows up in the area where the early Israelites uh, the Bible tells us that they lived. And Egyptians are not the ones who created it. There's somebody who's Semitic, and they took Egyptian hieroglyphs and they modified these hieroglyphs into what becomes an alphabet, a phonetic alphabet. And uh, so what we see then is that this, this, this alphabet shows up at the time and at the place where uh, the Israelites live, and Moses then, when God tells him to write these down, and he tells the Israelites to take the commands that Moses written down and, and copy them and put them on their doorposts, well, that's exactly what we find. We find the tool that is there. But the alphabet is probably, and no one realizes how significant it is, it's one of the most significant advancements, and it happens with these people who they believe were not wealthy, not influential. They they were they were. It shows up with slaves that they're able to create this ingenious tool. And and why I think this is was important for me to make this film is that it actually shows us that God wanted to be known. And we think about the this phrase, the word of God, the word of the Lord. And the Israelites were commanded to write these words on their doorposts, to teach them to their children. They write them on the, you know, and put them on their heads, you know, uh, the commands, and they create the Torah. And this is the beginning of passing on uh, the, the covenants and the history, all the way from Genesis to the very understandings of how the world was created, this divine knowledge this information about uh, the fall of man, the information about the ark, uh, Noah's ark, and and God destroying the earth with a flood, the story of Babel, uh, this information is is uh, is given to us. Uh, and here we are uh, with Abraham. God makes a covenant. He chooses Abraham to represent himself in the world. Uh, and then he chooses these people at the... Uh, at Exodus. And so we've got this movie coming out that's going to celebrate this event, historically speaking. But all that wouldn't have been possible if uh, this alphabet hadn't arrived in the time and in the place. And Casey, you've seen the movie, so you realize, you also know that this alphabet then migrates out of Egypt and goes to the promised land, just as the Bible says, and just in the same time period. And some people have argued, well, this is from an earlier time but what we're seeing is the pattern of evidence is earlier. And we think that, I believe that the chronology is off. That's my, that's my take on it. It's probably just an incredible coincidence. Yes. <laughs> so we're talking about Moses and, uh, you know, the 
bringing of the law, the mountain there. And so obviously you're going to be going into this more uh, in, well, you did go into it more with uh, the first part, Journey to Mount Sinai. Um, and then, of course, part two is coming out here in not long. What what exactly prompted you? Is it my understanding that um, the whole sort of, um, basically this Jebel el that it showed up, um, started showing up in Christian circles in the news, was that one of the things that drew you to uh, Saudi Arabia originally, way back when you first yes. started this? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, I was um, um, heard about it. It was news. I mean, and it was, um, it seemed um, uh, intriguing because the fact that it felt like it was forbidden, an area that people didn't want to get out, the Saudis didn't want to get out there hiding it. That just added to the interest of it all. And and in 2002, in May, May 1st, look at, I, 20 years ago, I was in Saudi Arabia on this investigation. And right about now, it was going south for me because of the fact that we were allowed to be there. But when the locals heard about us being there, they were not happy about that. And uh, so for the next, uh, you know, till the 15th of, the, of May, 2000, I should say 2003, that's when it was actually when I was there, 2003. In 2002, I was in Egypt in April, and then 2003, I was in Saudi Arabia uh, filming and trying to, to tell this story. I thought, wow, it's just amazing. I got in here. I'm going to be able to do this. I knew how difficult it was. But then it all sort of <clears throat> came um, apart because of the of the tension <clears throat> of, of us being there, investigating the events of, of the Exodus and the, the events at Mount Sinai. So for me right now, having the satisfaction of of getting to the finish line uh, after literally 20 years, and if someone would have told me, hey, Tim, in 20 years, you're going to have this movie done, I, I just would have said, oh, you've got to be kidding. Why would it take so long? But I think that right now, the using, we, we created, uh, you know, if people go to our website, Patterns of Evidence, uh, Dot com. They can see a trailer for the, the movie Journey to Mount Sinai. They're going to be able to um, uh, download a scorecard. And a scorecard actually is a, a document that has uh, biblical verses that re- reference the um, different uh, patterns that we're looking for. And it also has um, the map that shows the area where the mountains are. And that once again, there's two films. The first one was released in uh, last year, Journey to Mount Sinai 1. And then we have now this one, May 15th and 17th. And these two different films are complementary, but it's not that you have to see one versus the other. Uh, You could watch this one if you can't get to the other one, and you're going to be completely filled with, uh, you're going to be inspired, you're going to be affirmed, uh, uh, and you're going to have plenty of questions because they're big investigations. Uh, and so we just look at all the attributes here and, and artifacts and and there's different points that we're making. But you can download that if you go to PatternsOfEvidence.com. That preps you for the movie. Uh, you can bring the scorecard to the movie if, if you want. I, I kind of kid, it's almost like a bowling sheet. You can give things a yes, a maybe, or a no, like a strike, a spare, and a gutter ball. But uh, you, as you're looking at the, as we do this investigation, it's a big investigation uh, and at the end of it, the focus shifts to why were the Israelites there? And uh, and they were there because God called them to come. To, they was going to make a covenant with them, and they were going to 
worship God at that mountain. And I really felt led. And I, it was hard for me because, I mean, I'm a musician, but I'm not like a song leader. But I felt like I couldn't just end this film with a panel discussion like a lot of Fathom events have where you talk about it. We already talked about it for two hours, right? We've been to see a lot of things. So, Casey, what I decided to do is take the guitar, and I brought a, a choir, a very special choir, because this choir um, had been enslaved in addiction, these people. And now they were free uh, by the power of the gospel. And they joined me on the stage, and we're going to sing a few songs at the end of this uh, in worship to God. And I think it's important. I feel like what God is showing me is that as there are, are storm clouds, I'm looking at your uh, image of your podcast, and you've got a cross, and there's clouds. There's clouds ahead. We, I think everybody has a sense of concern about the future. And I think what I feel is God is trying to show me is that there are things that we would, would want to fear, but we need to turn our attention back on the Lord and spend time in, in prayer and praise and worship. And I think God inhabits, I don't think, I know the Bible says, God inhabits the, the, the praises of his people. And so I did that. I came home when I was dealing with a lot of fear. And I came home and I said to my wife, I really believe we need to, to worship the Lord. I had a couple of different instances where people said, I think you need to spend more time in, in worship. And so I got the guitar out and we spent an evening. And we've done that at different times now. And I'm doing that more. I'm spending that time personally worshiping the Lord, and I feel like I'm a different person. And when you come to the movie, you're going to have a very, I believe, faith-affirming experience. You're going to go into Saudi Arabia. You're going to go into the Negev of Israel. I'm going to show you things you've probably never seen before and might never, ever be able to go to, and you're going to see it in a cinema experience. It's going to be an immersive experience. And then we're going to lead you through to what really happened at Mount Sinai. So you need to come with your family. Uh, this is not for younger children, but it's for older children. Uh, you can bring your Sunday school class, Bible study, your church. Uh, but I think this would be a very faith-affirming uh, event that will, I think, impact everyone's life greatly. Well, I kind of like to watch it right now. <laughs> Based on all of what you just said, that sounds amazing, Tim. And it's it's been incredible, this journey you've been on. And here we are, and now getting to really dive into this whole look at Mount Sinai. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely elated. I can't wait to see it. And I'm sure many in the audience feel the same way. Remind us um, where we can get tickets to it. Okay. If you go to PatternsOfEvidence.com, you'll see um, about the movie there. It'll, it'll, it'll have a trailer, but you can also, um, uh, you'll see something that says buy tickets. Now, when you hit buy tickets, it, it just takes you to the site where you can put your zip code in. You can see a trailer there. They also have the, the, the uh, Mount Sinai scorecard to download. There's information about who's in the movie. Uh, it's all there. But the easiest website to remember is PatternsOfEvidence.com. If you're looking for you know, a uh, journey to Mount Sinai, you're going to be able to find it there. And for some people, they want to see the movie, the first movie, they can also get it there at that site from the store. Uh, but you don't have to see the first movie to, to watch this movie because they're really uh, very um, robust films, independent of each other. But there's a, there's a, a connection between the two as well. And so, yes, and I, I would just encourage people, 
um, to get their tickets early. You can buy them ahead of time because we're only for two nights, May 15th, May 17th. Uh, we're not going to be anymore. In some cases, there's only, if the theaters are not, don't have people buying them, they're going to give the theater back to the Hollywood studio. So we've got 700 theaters that we're claiming for this film, right? And we need people to go there now and buy their tickets so that they can reserve the theater and reserve their seats. Uh, in my area, you know, the, we've got uh, theaters that are already sold out. And, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't, they haven't even announced it to some churches that have thousands and thousands of people. I'm not sure what we're going to do, where people are going to buy, buy tickets. Uh, but so it's important that you get your tickets early for a lot of reasons. Absolutely. And uh, as you said, all your films are sort of a self-contained, uh, you know, s- story in a way they, you know, uh, there's plenty to chew on with each, each film, but I recommend the audience go, go watch all the films. They're all worthwhile, extraordinary encouragements to your, to your faith as a believer, and also a great uh, tool for those who might be searching. Well, Tim, before I let you go, I also wanted to give you a chance to quickly plug your podcast because you've also dived into podcasting recently. What can you tell us? Well, we are, uh, yes, I've uh, really enjoyed it. I love podcasts. And so thank you, Casey, for doing your podcast. I think podcasts are really important because you can be mobile you, and, and you can be going to bed at night or or going to the club. You know, there's lots of ways to listen to a podcast that you can't do for other things. Uh, and so we are, are now... Our team is putting out podcasts. We're trying to do it um, every week. Uh, we've got a podcast, and we'll be talking to scholars, to archaeologists. We're talking about archaeology that's coming out. Uh, we're going to go back and look at some of the finds, such as the the curse tablet. Uh, and we've got different podcasts like that coming. And once again, just become a part of the Patterns of Evidence family by th- signing up for the thinkers, you can uh, go t- to, you know, wherever you get your podcast and just type in patterns of evidence and uh, it should come up and you can then subscribe. So that's a good way to do it as well. Well, Tim, I want to thank you so much for coming on and giving of your valuable time. It's been a great conversation and so much more I would love to talk about. Maybe we can do it again sometime, but I urge everyone out there, you know, get your tickets for this and support this very valuable ministry and uh, stay encouraged in your faith. So, Tim, thanks so much for being on with with this late late hour. Thank you very much, Casey. God bless. God bless. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Tim Mahoney today on This Late Hour. So we've kicked off season three. There's lots of interesting things to talk about in the future. Uh, the world is uh, spinning out of control at a pace that is hard to even keep up with, even for those who, uh, in the prophecy world, as we may say, who are doing this on a d- daily or weekly basis. Uh, just it, things are going nuts. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about with AI and just what's going on there and the acceleration of that. But there's lots to be paying attention to, friends. We we are living in a late hour. We do need to be keeping our eyes focused on the Lord and living in light of this late hour in history and what we're doing and how we're living as uh, our walk as Christians in this time. One of the things we can do is stay encouraged, and, and one of the best ways to do that, uh, I have found, is through 
engaging content like these films that Tim Mahoney is putting out. I recommend get your tickets, go see this in, in theaters, uh, support this ministry, support the film, and even more importantly, uh, use it as a way to encourage your faith. Perhaps you can take uh, someone in your life who you know who's searching, uh, someone who's open to knowing more about the historicity of the Bible, uh, the gospel. Uh, this, these, these kinds of events are great opportunities for that. Uh, whatever you do, I just highly recommend uh, definitely checking out this movie. And if you haven't seen the other films, just as I was speaking with Tim there about in the interview, uh, go and, and uh, either rent them or even pick up copies of them. You can get them from the Patterns of Evidence website, or I think you can even find them uh, on places like Amazon or YouTube. You can just rent them uh, if you've never seen uh, the films or maybe have missed a few along the way. All I know is I highly recommend them, and I think it'll be a great encouragement to you and uh, to other brothers and sisters uh, who you may be in community with at your church. Uh, season 3 is going to keep going. Uh, I don't know exactly where and when episodes will land as i discussed in the beginning of the episode but again uh, as i've said there's lots to go over lots to talk about uh, one of the things i will say i'm thinking of doing is uh, maybe a little less structured and more free form and just looking at articles as i've i've talked about doing in the past but again they're just the things are happening so fast guys uh, i hope you're paying attention i mean it's it's really just breakneck speeds out there with uh, the amount of things that are happening and and where we're headed, I mean, really, uh, if you just look at what the Bible talks about in Revelation and uh, all the signs that Jesus has laid out for us to be watching for, man, it sure seems like those times are, are coming or may even be upon us already. So please be getting prepared in, in your heart, mind, spirit, and strength, and in body and soul. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord, and I will be Looking forward to speaking to you again here in the near future with episode two. Until then, keep on the alert, dear Christian. Until next time, God bless. You have been listening to this late hour. Your contribution helps pay our fees, improve our equipment, and build better content. It is my hope that your continued support of our show may bring future interviews and exclusives. Our goal is to always be improving our show so that the church may be strengthened in our mission to bring salt and light to this present darkness. May God richly bless you.